We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to a special edition of True Faith Podcasts. I'm Alex Hurst, joined by True Faith editor uh, Mick Martin and Times football correspondent George Hawken. Uh, great to have you lads, and we're here to talk today about the seemingly main event of English and British football, the summer transfer window, which finished last night. Uh, lots to talk about today uh, from a Newcastle perspective, so Michael, why don't you take us away? Um, and why don't you ask George what he thinks about the big one? So Musa Sissoko, I think that's, that's what's on everyone's lips. Uh, I think the, um, the famous words of Johnny Rotten from the Sex Pistols, do you ever feel as though you've been conned? I think I was shouting that in the direction of White Hart Lane this morning, aren't we? but uh, you know what a great bit of business that was. Uh, I've never thought, we, thought I'd find myself saying that about the sale of a, of a, a Newcastle player, but I'm absolutely thrilled that they've got so much for him, um, and I do feel as though that money will go back into the pot for uh, Rafa's kidney in January and um, and strengthen and he's got rid of but he's fumigated the club he was uh, more or less the last one there's just Tiotti there he's got to go um, but he's not so much frozen now as in a deep freeze I mean it's sort of extraordinary when you take a step back and think we're sitting here Newcastle have been relegated in pretty dismal fashion they're in the championship they've sold arguably their two or three best players this summer made a huge profit and they've recently signed Darrell Murphy and yet they're all smiling <laughs> um, well most of us are smiling you know it's, it's, it's kind of extraordinary how it feels like the whole club's been turned on its head that comes back to you know to one man that comes back down to Benitez the fact that he's here and stayed here um, but it's, uh, you know, it feels like it's been an extraordinary summer. I mean, to get 55 million quid this is so good now, I think it's, it's remarkable. I mean, I think that's pretty extraordinary. I'm the same as you. There would have been a time when you would say, you know, you're not going to see a pound of pound notes run up and down the wing. And that would be something that I would always have argued, particularly about the business that they've done here. But, you know, if, if if the transfer policy is one of the reasons why the club got relegated, they have shown that they're very adept at making money, and that has been uh, an important thing for the club this summer. I mean, to, to buy 12 players for the championship, for the championship season and to end up with whatever it is, 30 million quid Do you think there's any truth in the, the story the standard, Evening Standard in London have run with tonight? That's, it's some kind of uh, annual deal. Pay, you know, pay six million a year well, so, for five so, years, and so that that was how that was how things kind of moved a bit yesterday. Was the suggestion that Newcastle were prepared to take 
installments of six million quid each. Well, I mean that's not that's not entirely unusual. Certainly not unusual. I mean the way deals are normally done, it's half up from maybe and then installments there's the price. If that was the way that they were going to get so called the books, I think that's that's absolutely fair enough. The standard have suggested that if in the future Sissoko gets sold by Spurs, they can renegotiate the payments that are left on the deal. I have to be honest, I have no idea about that. All transfers are incredibly complicated these days. But all I was saying about that is, you know, each one of those £6 million payments is three times what it cost in the first place. Yeah. And that's trying to kind of put a gloss on the fact that so. Uh, London clubs being done over by some lads in the northeast, and that you know they're putting a, putting a gloss on it. The, the way of looking at it is, is that if he is, so then they might have to pay the whole thing up, pay the, pay yeah. the whole thing up. So you know who who knows? It's just massive speculation on everybody's on everybody's part. The bottom line is, is that is that we've got thirty million quid for him. However, it's getting paid, it's getting paid yeah. pound coins at the moment. <laughs> yeah. um, well, whether, still, whether it's got it, it's whether, an asset. Whether it whether it ends up being thirty million quid, twenty four million quid, or whatever. I mean, I think the important thing is that he's gone. And um, I think Benitez has. I mean, I think he's played most things very cleverly. He never froze Sissoko out. There was a good chance up until what day was today? Thursday. There was a good chance until Tuesday night that Sissoko would end up staying, and that, that was that was where the balance of probability lay on uh, on Tuesday night because the club just didn't think that 30 million quid was going to you know they didn't think their Arsenal price was going to get met. And Benitez has always been very very uh, conscious of the fact of not alienating Sissoko, despite the fact that he clearly wanted away. And if he'd stayed, he'd have used him. So. Yeah. Um, I think you know. I think he's handled it. I think he's handled it very well. But you have to say it's not. It's not. It's not often I've said this over recent years. But Newcastle have played the blinder. They definitely have, and they need to be congratulated as long as that money goes back in the pot. Um, this and I, is I just don't think I can't see any other outcome than that. It wouldn't if the guy is if Rafa is completely in control of the football side of the club. He gets the door, you know, from the sales. So um, hopefully. By January, we'll be in a strong position, looking like we're going to get promoted, and um, and he'll, he'll invest. He'd probably, yeah, I would hope he would be looking at strikers for next season, um, because they're the hardest players to get. Um, but be good if we could get them, get them in. And I'm kind of, I'm kind of flipping back to the days of Keegan, you know, um, when when George has rightly said, you know, you could. You can see what he's doing. Make, you can make sense of what, he, of what he's doing. You could see that in the Keegan days. You knew what he was doing. You didn't have to kind of bend your brain to try and understand and contort, draw some kind of logic on what they what they've been up to, like they have been in recent years, where people have kind of argued, "Oh, it's this, it's that, it's this," and you couldn't make it wasn't clear. It's clear now. It's absolutely crystal clear that. You know, the things that we see are the same things that Rafa Benitez sees and the same things that he responds to. So, you know, I think it's a great day last night um, when we got when we got shot if shot of that lump off of, off the books, you know, and uh, and he can go and uh, he can go whatever he does when he does it. I suppose I couldn't give a toss about him. He's, he's dead to us. <laughs> I mean he's he's there is a there's a player in there, but unfortunately Newcastle only saw that player once, twice, three times, four times a season. Yeah, um, he's got so many limitations to his game as well. Though you know he's um, he he kind of pick a pass. Uh, his first touches, dubious. Um, I don't think he's a greatly intelligent player. 
um, and uh, and he's easily stopped actually. You know, a clever defender can, t- can take the ball off his off his uh, toe, which we've seen so often uh, before. I'm not saying he's a terrible player. He isn't a terrible player. Um, he he, is, he has got qualities, but in terms of being a top class player, that is going to make the difference to Spurs winning the league, for example. Don't make me laugh. Well, Spurs have just this is Spurs' record transfer fee for a player for a team that are already in the Champions League. Yeah. I mean, there are quite a few Spurs fans predicting he won't actually get in the starting 11, which I've no idea about, to be honest with you. But it seems like a strange move from the, the normally famous, uh, famously prudent Daniel Levy to, to, to put so much money into a player who, until Rafa Benitez arrived at the club, no one was really fussed about. I thought he had a very strong end of the season because of Rafa and changed his position and the rest of it. but. I agree with you too. Um, hats off to to Benitez, to Charney, whoever whoever's yeah. involved in moving on to Lee Charney. Is is this the the start of something special, or, or certainly an improvement in both Charney's reputation, his relationship with the fans, the club? Because if you're going to judge a, a guy like that on the managers he, he hires and the, the transfer windows, I don't think we're going to have too many complaints since uh, well May 2016. Uh, well, yeah, since May 2016, that's not that long ago. No. <laughs> um, uh, but, I mean, I certainly don't want to be mealy-mouthed about what's happened in the past few months because, you know, it's changed the club from top to bottom. I mean, it has done. And, um, you know, I suppose my only concern is that, that that's quite a fragile thing. And I suppose I, in my darkest, blackest, most sort of newcastle moments, I wonder to myself what happens if it goes wrong. Right. Um, and I suppose that's you know that's the only kind of fear I have because the club have gone so balls out in terms of supporting Benitez and getting him back and basically you know ceding ceding kind of all football control. To them. Um, you know it's it's nice to be around the football club again it's, from a journalist point of view. I've spoke, you know I've done a couple of player interviews. That's the first time for two or three years that I've been physically allowed to do that. Um, and the whole new music around the club has changed. It feels like it's a sporting institution um, again. I'm using all these words a little bit sort of gingerly because I almost don't want to sort of say it out loud and jinx, and jinx it. All of this really comes back down to the meetings. But um, you know, fingers crossed. It's you know, fingers crossed. It's the start of something. It's the start of something special. Um, you know, Charmy has been allowed to get on with this by Mike Ashley. Mike Ashley is still taking a very backseat role. He did get involved in Sissoko and told yesterday to insist that the Spurs would have to pay the thirty million quid. So his 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 involvement was kind of used a bit then, but otherwise it's it's all it's all um, on Charmy. So look, so far so good with you know with this club. Historically, over the you know over the, t- the time of Ashley's tenure, there's always been a bad decision around the corner. I hope those days are gone. I mean, I really, I really do. You know, you don't have to look too far to you know to look at the flag campaign, which I know you've been involved with, which is which is brilliant. It's been fantastic. I saw saw the effect of that uh, before before Brian. Uh, it feels like it's it could be it could it can be a club to be proud of again. I just hope that. Yeah, I, I mean, getting to John Lee, I think you can't criticise him. It would be, um, it would be um, churlish to, to say anything other than that he's done a good job this summer. He's done everything that uh, Rafa Benitez has asked of him, it would seem. So as long as he keeps doing what um, 
the governor tells them to do and the governor being Rafa Benitez then all is well you know but uh, it's instructive I, I think there's limits to what John Lee does because ultimately it's to make Ashley's football club he owns at lock stock and barrel so the big decisions I do think are incumbent upon him to get involved in so um, you know we mentioned the big deal yesterday with Sissoko and, and Ashley getting involved in that and pushing it through etc clearly Levy would probably want to speak to Ashley about that and Ashley would want to speak to Levy and that's no disrespect to John Lee, as it was, you know, he is ultimately an employee. You could argue Levy is, but I think he has a bit more status with sports uh, than John Lee does with Newcastle. But then you've got, you've also got Ashley, who had to become involved quite rightly with Benitez to get him to stay. So, um, you know, you can't have the kind of the, the, the big decision maker, the person whose club it is, who will ultimately have to pick up the costs if it all goes tits up. Uh, and also benefit from it outside of that decision making process. He can step in and step out again, but he needs to be involved for the big decisions like he has been. Sale of um, Sissoko, but also the appointment of Rafa Benitez and providing the context in which he works because I don't believe that it was Charlie's idea to have a director of football and a coach like he had with Pardew and McLaren. I think that was Ashley's thing. That's what Ashley wanted to dilute the role of the well, manager. That, 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 I mean, that set up predated, predated the Charlie yeah. in that position. I mean, that was, you know, I remember Derek Lambert saying that Graham Carr, I'm sure we'll talk about some stage, what's the, more important, what's the most important employee? <laughs> it's just another employee. Yeah. So, you know, that, that the whole, I mean, I've said the whole club's been turned on and said if you look at the recruitment policy in terms of buying more domestic players, when you look at the age of those players, it's, it's, everything has been turned on absolutely everything, including that model. You certainly can't criticise Lee Chandler because he has absolutely 100% put his authority on the line with this. If it doesn't work, then he is, then he is toast, I'm sure. Yeah, sure. It, funny you mentioned Green Call because People have looked upon the, the Benitez uh, arrival as being kind of the end for him, but he's actually had a good transfer window, hasn't he? Because you know, if for a player that likes a solo who he bought for one and a half million quid, he's gone for thirty million. For William, then he's had double the money for him. Jan Matt's gone at a profit, and so on and so forth. You know, notably he's had some failures as well, but I think his successes are now kind of looking like in terms of the return on investment from the buys that he's made and the sales, the subsequent sales. So it just seems like a lot of people have worn it in Newcastle this summer. You know, Graham Carr's won, Ash, uh, Mike Ashley's won, uh, and uh, Lee Chong's won, Rafa Benitez has won, and I think you know, the whole club and the support has won as well. On, on, you know, on that front, I do think that it was the strategy that was wrong. It wasn't necessarily Graham Carr's, well, not, not, not the power that he had, that's that sort of wrong, but, you know, a, a, not every single transfer goes right. And I think with the model that Newcastle had, it was putting an awful lot of pressure on Graham Carr to get every single one right. And, you know, the other thing was, he was, you know, he was, he was trying to sign players, you know, whatever the model was, under 26, mainly for him, blah, blah, blah. It's not conducive to the team, I mean, you know, it's not conducive to the team, as we've seen, 
that doesn't mean he's not had uh, had a good eye for a player circumstance, time, right or right people, if you and your manager are loggerheads, well, then it's just not going to work. You can have whatever strategy you want, you can be the best at your job in the world. If you don't get on, if you don't agree on the players that you should be signing, which obviously was an issue with Alan Barge, then it's storing up problems. Steve Walsh, who is you know, now, because of what he did at Leicester, has sort of the same reputation as Graham Carter a few years ago to move to Everton. He was Sam Allardyce's head of recruitment at Newcastle. Right. And people forget, I mean, yeah. I'd forgotten yeah. Sam Allardyce had been running that. Now, he wasn't there long enough, arguably, to see, to see the benefits or otherwise of that. But in other days, his team is noted for the really bad team he's yeah. in. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's, I mean, it is that, you know, sort of, you know, Sunderland, not, not trying to draw a direct comparison, but, but Sunderland, when Gus Poyet was there, they had Lee, Lee Congerton as sporting director, and they talked about the model that they wanted to, to implement. They didn't get on. They didn't agree about who they should be signing, so it was doomed. It was I think there's also things about if you, if you manage any team, you know, whether or not you're, you're managing a busy taxi company, or, you know, a public sector operation, or a newspaper department, Actually, it's about personalities as well. Yeah. You know, it's about having leaders. It's about having a mix of young and old. It's having characters, and you know, you can go and assess players, and they can all be technically good players. But actually, if the if the characters of them are coming in and they're not they're not what you need. If you need leaders, if you need tough lads, if you need you know a core, you need a kind of a a, a group of players, not necessarily British, because I would include Tim Krull as being a full-grown player, although he's Dutch. You know, he's he's he's, he's been there as long as any as anyone else, you know, notwithstanding his loan. Um, you you if you're the manager, you can kind of you can sense that you can kind of you can identify the character that you want under that model. You don't. It's too cold. Yeah. It's 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 treating a dressing room. So it's a department store, and thank God that's gone. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you could just see that at the end of last season when it was Jamal Lassell who was the one that kind of came forward and who actually said this is not good enough, and it was like, whoa, no one said that. You know, no one said it was just kid who made a handful of stars for the was the one who had to come forward. I mean, briefly, just to go back to Sissoko and Ronaldo, for example, it'll be very interesting to see how they how they do it because. You know, they were they were so anonymous for, for long spells of last season. And Alden particularly away from Soko just all the way through. Do they will they thrive in different clubs with a different atmosphere in you know in better teams? Incredible stats that that Gufran has scored more goals than Sissoko and they both came to the club in the same window. Uh, one of them still there and one of them barely played last season. Well Gufran, I mean Gufran, I mean that's you know sort of Brighton going, I'm not, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't want to sort of pay all this as a, as a new beginning, but he played as well as anybody in that game. He can have a good season, can't And he can have a good season. It's interesting how players who, you know, again, I think with a good manager and, and someone who hasn't alienated, hasn't bombed people out, if, if he can get the best start of people like Gufan, if he can, there's no reason he can't be an answer. Yeah, totally agree. Totally, totally. I think uh, if you look at the club, released interview today with Rafa 
and presumably a club employee. He's he's banging the same drum he's he's banged for a long time, but he's mentioned two or three things which you guys have said there. Number one, he's kind of even though everyone knew it's publicly admitted that the atmosphere in the dressing room last season was was non-existent. Uh, number two, he's and he seems to do this a lot. He really bigs up Lee Charlie. It's almost like he's doing a bit of a PR job because he knows how low Charlie's yeah. reputation is, and he's he's constantly trying to say he's doing a great job. He speaks to us every day. He does all these kind of things. And he also mentioned that when you made Michael about well, he he's not bothered where the players come from. He's not even bothered. He is bothered how good they are, but he's looking for more than skills and qualities. He's looking for character, leadership, whether a, a good influence around the club. And like like you said, George, maybe that didn't come into consideration in the past when you were looking for a deal or a bargain. It's it, it turns into stats and goals and money and appearance fees and stuff. Yeah. So the fact that the manager's come out and said that and feels the need to say that, I think we're going to learn a little bit more about how the club used to be run from him, just from those little bits he, really, he, he really reminds me of Keegan and all, and all of that and all of those things. Although I do rate Rafa Benitez as a much better manager than Kevin Keegan. It's not easy to say that as a Newcastle fan who absolutely loves the bones of Kevin Keegan. But um, you know some of the things he says about leaders, about loving the club, about professional pride, etc. That's all Keegan-esque, I suppose. It's not just Keegan-esque. It's good managers talk. It's leaders. It's leadership. You know, it's a it's a it's a guy being completely confident in his own ability to say those things and know that's what he's going to get. Just like King Kev did back in the day. You know, so um, and even the great Bobby Robson didn't have the kind of control over the club that Keegan had. You know, so you know maybe we're in that we're in that new territory now where Rafa is in charge of the club and he can make it his club. He can. You know, he can make this his, he can put his stamp all over that club because I think, looking over the history of Newcastle United, we, where we we are a massive club, you know, and, and I, I must be one of those deluded Jones, but I, I, I sincerely believe that we are, and we'll have the potential to be, you know, one of those top clubs in, in Europe. But what we've never ever had, like the Man United, Liverpool, etc., we've never had a, a father of the club, like Shankly. Or Busby or Natalie Ferguson, etc. In those clubs, <coughs> if he could be that man, you know that's my hope. He's there for 10, 12, 15 years. This is his last job in football. You know, this is where you know where the, there's a stand named after him, and he has a statue outside the ground. And you know, in 50 years' time, you know people are talking about the great Rafa Benitez and and all of that. This can be his day. Yeah, I mean, I, sort of danger of possibly getting ahead of ourselves it's understandable the you know the thing I thought when he arrived in the first place was it's not just the stature of him as a manager and what he's achieved it's that it's that thought that for too long the club's been defined by its smallness and by limitations and hearing people like Alan Pardew and the people who run the club talking about not being able to compete with whatever Southampton, about clubs not being a priority, about uh, being the best they can be, that horrific phrase Well, Benitez wipes that away, you know, he, he wipes that away, he, he, he sort of persuaded people of Newcastle's bigness, he talked, I mean, he talked about uh, the stadium being full, he talked about the noise generated by supporters. Now, in some ways, we've stopped talking about things like that because A, we're used to it, B, the stadium hasn't been very noisy recently, and C, because 
the money in football is now generated by TV, not by full stadiums. It's, like, it's almost like we've been suckered into that yeah. very dry, cold argument yeah. about finance. Well, he's talking about potential. Yeah. And he's talking about the size of the football club as an entity. Yeah. And I love that. That yeah. is so exciting. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a huge, there's a huge way to go before you can start talking about Newcastle being the Premier League yet. So, but you know, I know for a fact that if Newcastle is to get up this season, he won't be talking internally about finishing seventeenth. You know, his 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 ambition will be that you know, not saying straight away, but his ambition will be to get Newcastle in the Champions League because that's that's where he thinks he should be as a manager, like, like, and can be as a manager. That's why you know. That's why it's such a game changer, and that's why it's that's why it's so exciting. I mean, look, I think there'd be I've come to those people that says look before I say something. I hate that. No. Um, <laughs> um, well, you want to start saying so. So um, I, he's a very different kind of manager to, to to Keegan. He's a very different kind of manager to to Bobby as well. And I was very pleased, just in very football terms, to see against Brighton that it was slightly more attacking. Line up that had been played before. That you know, again, I'm sort of old fashioned, but 4 2 3 1, the whole idea of playing two holding midfielders at home, I can't get my head around that. Two of the biggest part, it was nice to see a bit more attacking football. You know, we'll only find out, we'll only find out over time whether, you know, whether the fit is a natural one. Saturday was like, you know, we're all going that game worried that we didn't have any strikers, and Perez was leading the line for, for us, and we won that game, and we won it comfortably. You know, and we were, and that's why he's on four and a half million quid a year. Well, I, I, I thought, I mean, I, I, I think I sort of said in my match report, for, for the first time in a long time, Newcastle looked like a championship team, and you can mean that as a compliment. You know, they, they've, they've been awful the last couple of years. I thought, I thought Brian was really the first time you look at them and thought, yeah, they, you know, they look efficient, they look strong. Brian, um, you know, Chris Hewton used the word efficient afterwards about Newcastle. And I, I mean, that's not a particularly sexy word, but I thought that was a huge compliment from someone who got Newcastle up the last time. Yeah, well, it came very close to getting Brighton yeah, up last But if you, if, you look at, if you look at the team that, you know, Hewton um, had at Newcastle when he, got, when he got Newcastle promoted last time, he had in the first half of that season, the football wasn't great. People forget no. that. Um, it was, it was um, we worked with way through games. We got points, and we were moving in the right direction. Um, the second half of the season, we became a bit more expa- expansive. But um, you know, and I think maybe Benitez is doing something similar, controlling games. And I think that is what Hutton said after Saturday. You know, the, the manage the game, which is a, a, a nice expression. I, I like you know in terms of uh, how you how you run. I think Benitez does run games, doesn't he? You know. You, when I, when I see him on the touchline, he's telling people where to stand and what to do. He, he kind of talks players through games. But they wouldn't have been equipped to do that last season. I mean, to manage a game, because it takes intelligence and it takes leadership and it takes all those things. And I, I completely agree. They didn't have a striker. They didn't have a striker on side. And yet they looked equipped for what they're doing. And that's, you know, people have been, in a similar way, people have been sniffy about Darren Murphy arriving. But, I get that. I get that absolutely 100% because yeah. he will he will offer something that nobody else on the team does, and he's championship marks. We've, we've all seen great centre forwards at Newcastle over the years, you know, um, to varying degrees depending on who you. But 
Um, everyone, know, everyone knows that Callum Murphy is unlikely to be one of those players, you know. Um, but he's there and he's going to do a job. And you know, there's players who've come in in the past who have been unheralded, but have done a good job for Newcastle. I'm thinking of Antoine Sibieski. You know, came You know, he was he was great. For, for Newcastle, you know, Kevin Gallagher, unheralded player, did a really good job. Uh, Peter Lovenkrantz, these players who were like kind of not the world superstars when they came, but they left a good print on the club. And I think he could, he could do the same as his last, probably his last club in football in, in, in the top divisions. And if he can sign off by helping us get in the, in the top division, you know, he could, he can, he can kind of have a, a place here. Yeah, well, and I just think it's. It's so, sort of refreshing to see them do something which is so focused on the now um, because it's all about this season. So, you know, Newcastle top of the league in January, we've got money to spend, fair enough. But, and uh, that's, not to say, that's not to say that players like Matt Rich can't thrive in front of because he's already shown you can. But it's about this season, and let's deal with what happens yeah. after that. Totally agree. I do think they've got, you know, I, I'm, co- I'm pretty confident that we will go up, um, but I, I actually think they've got a quite a strong core there already that'll keep them, help keep them up next season. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, I do think they'll need to spend again in January and in the summer, um, but I do think they've got a core of players that they can build around, that, that they can build around you know. Um, I think a lot of people have been a little bit suspicious about the goalie sells. I think he's okay. Um, I think the two centre halves, the sells and then Bemba, yeah. will get better. And every player in that club will get better and better. But you know, he's a good teacher, isn't he? You know, so people get better at the subjects with the better the teacher they have got. And you've got uh, I, I really hope Shelby shows his ability, you know, because if he doesn't, he's finished, isn't he? So, you know, as a, as a player, he's got so much potential. Richie's another one. Um, the I like, you know. And if Aaron's can shake off these injury problems, he can be another. He can be another one. Um, you know, and there are others who, who kind of form that core that he, I think he can he can build something for. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, <clears throat> we may as well talk about the transfer window we've had in terms of incomings. And I, I don't think we've got twelve players in almost. A player for every position coming. I think probably the only part of the team I think were a little bit weak is left wing because of Aaron's injury and Gufran. Though Gufran is doing a good job, but it, yeah, you're not too far away from being back to a, a player like Anita or someone there. But the rest, the rest of the team for the first time in probably my absolute life supporting Newcastle will have two players for position. It's no longer the case. I know we just said Saturday we didn't have a striker, but except, exceptional circumstances and before the Murphy signing. Right now, if anyone in that team gets injured, we're not, we're not devastated. Well, yeah, it's, it's a blow to lose anybody, but you know, you know what it's been like the last two or three seasons. If I don't know, Midrovic or Colacini or Krull or if any of them was injured, it was that's it. We're not, we're not going to win the game on Saturday. But there's so, also been no competition for places as well. So you know, Colacini's been terrible for, for you know for ages, and his decline was marked. His motivation seemed to leave him as well for whatever reason. Um, but if he was fit, he played. What kind of message is that? Yeah. Well, Benitez dropped the cells after two games, and you know, as captain, and the cells responded really brilliant. Yeah, that would be fantastic. And if you know, on the other side of that, if players like Gufan are still here and they know they've got, you know, they now know they've got a chance to play, which yeah. is it's about keeping everybody in the yeah. 
you know, and I agree. I think, I think, I think it's about it's about having a good team. It's about having a balance in it. The squad looks balanced. They did, they did try and bring another winger in. Seemed to um, seemed to fall through, but Manor, I think, was pretty close from uh, West Brom. At one point, there's been plenty of others. Alan Judge at one point that looked very close. He's injured. Um, I think that might be one they beat in previous year. But in January they may, they may be shot higher yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, yeah, it's all, it's in in August this championship club with only four games gone and changes in January when you're top and you're, you're looking strong. Players are looking at you thinking, yeah, I can drop down for a few months and then I'm back in the Premier League or I'm going in the Premier League. Um, you know, you can get it, you can see the march uh, on yourself by doing that famously. Keegan did that, didn't he, in 93, you know, where he's saying, cool, um, and Scott Sellers, you know, for the, yeah. for the following season, and, you know, uh, I see Benitez having the authority and power to, to be able to do that, and I also think Ashley will see what he's doing, and you know, I hope he gets bitten by the bug, and, you know, and, and makes, things, makes things happen, if the atmosphere of the club's changed, and it becomes more receptive to him, and why shouldn't it be? You know, he is making the right decisions. I don't, I don't know. I was just trying to think if he's, no, no. If, he's if he's not if he's not paying close attention, maybe carry on. Like I, that. Yeah. I mean, it's just let's just hope he doesn't bump into Jordan here one night <laughs> on the pitch. You know, so um, uh, so so it it, it can it's galvanised everybody, hasn't it? You know, I feel totally different, even though we've been relegated to what I did 12 months ago. I was looking at McLaren and. People were being driven, driven away left and right, and I know that I've been yeah. driven away a long time, a long time ago. And you know, I think I think there's a valuable thing. You can never wish for relegation, okay? You just can't because it has too many. I mean, unfortunately, it has too many financial repercussions. Yeah. I mean, the good thing about where Newcastle were is that they'd already been stripped out of the club, so there was not a lot. There was not a lot of Flesh left to strip away, so that's one thing. Secondly, the crowds have stayed good, so and clearly a way fans are going to come along to visit St James's. So in terms of the money that's been brought into the city, I mean, hopefully that's not going to sort of change, change too much. If you if you could ever wish for a kind of a club to be cleansed, it would be this one. And there is something really valuable, as it as proved last time we went down about learning how to win games of football again, playing different teams, seeing, going, having different trips, and remembering why you actually like football. Because I'm afraid that the bottom of the Premier League isn't any football. I mean, it might be exciting at the top, and it might be, you know, it might be the best players, it might be, you know, quote unquote the best league in the world. It's absolutely shit. It's not, it's not, and that's where Newcastle shouldn't be. You know, we shouldn't be at, we shouldn't be in the championship, everybody knows that. Um, but we shouldn't be in the bottom end of the championship as well, you know. Uh, the Premier League I think you call You know, and that, that's not our place in the in the natural order. Our natural our, our place in the natural order is is slugging it out with Spurs, Everton, those types of clubs. And I'm not, I'm not going to say that we're a big club as Manchester United, though my father, God rest his soul, used to sneer when I used to say, oh, Man United are a bigger club than Newcastle, he wouldn't have it. Um, and, like, and, and, and like, you know, but we, you know, we've got a long way to catch them up. But that's our place in the natural order, and, and the business of the club has to be geared up to achieving that and thinking about what it can do, 
rather than what it can't. And it has, to, yeah, and it has yeah. to be a sport. I mean, what you want it to be is a sporting institution. And what a sporting institution does is stretches for the glory. Yeah. And that, you know, that's quite an old-fashioned concept in some ways. And it's sort of anathema to the whole, well, we have to stay in the Premier League, we have to stay in the Premier League. Well, like you, I'm of a generation that remembers Newcastle not being in, not being in the top top guys the top division. And I know that it exists, and I know it's okay. I want Newcastle to be winning things, or challenging for things, or pushing to win things. Remembering what being, remembering what football's all about. Dead, right? I, I mean, I, I just don't fall for this narrative of you know that you have to be humble and you have, just have to get by. Fuck that! What's the yeah. point of that? You know, um, I want I us to go after glory. You've know? got to ask a lot of West Brom fans right now where they'd rather be in our shoes or theirs, and I'm pretty sure a few of them would be well, looking on enviously at us winning football matches, building something. And well, I think there's a, I think there's an envy around um, football at the, at the moment about the the buzz that there is at Newcastle. You know, so who would, where would you rather be going to watch your football? Newcastle or Palace? West Brom, Watford, Bournemouth, Sunderland, I think, Stoke. I think, I think, you know, I think quite often. I think when clubs, I like it when clubs come up because it, for them it's it's a you know it's a novelty again and it's exciting. And I think more and more you see promoted clubs have a bounce because they come up with that and then because you have to be shit hot to get promoted or you have to be on it every yeah. single week. And I think even if they're not very not very good, that attitude stays with them a lot of the time. And then, you know. The Premier League is fun for them and different. And I think more and more they get a foothold, particularly with the amount of money that they, they suddenly get. It's, it's for those teams. Yeah, I mean, obviously I cover Sunderland as well. Sunderland is a great football club. They've been, <laughs> they've been in the Premier League for a decade or half a long time. For what purpose? I mean, for what purpose? They, if they went down, I feel terrible for saying this. If they went down, they wouldn't leave a footprint behind. Them. No, apart, they wouldn't be apart, missed. Apart from. Apart from what they've done at the end of the seasons, and um, you know the away fans, I mean, the number of people who go to their stadium, and it, you know it's a great traditional football club who should stand for something. Let me finish. But they, I realise I, I realise this is not my natural uh, crowd at this point. But you know they they haven't been able to stand for anything, and I think you know I think the same thing applies to, to 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 Newcastle. Newcastle have a model, but by the you know by the time they go down. It's really no one's going to miss, miss them. Build again. Remember what football's about. Clear the decks. Go in with some ambition and see where it takes you. Yeah, good point, well made. Um, I think we've covered a lot of things um, that we're going to talk about today. Future transfers you've got written down on the the plan. I mean, I presume that's that. It's what you alluded to about maybe signing players for the future and, and stuff like that. But. I yeah, I don't want to get too ahead of myself, but I find it difficult to, you know, up and down type of person. But um, I, I look at it and I think they've got a lot of money in the bank now after the Sissoko deal. Um, and, and I do think that they'll win football matches. Um, they have got the strongest team. They've got the best manager. They've got the best fans. They've got the best stadium in that division. Um, and, uh, and I think they've just got to hold their nerve Supporters haven't got to panic and throw the toys out the crown if things go wrong during games. Um, we've got to get behind the players and the manager. But I think by January, I think we will be in a very, very strong position. And we, at that point, we should be looking, thinking about next season. And we should be thinking about bringing in one, possibly two players in January, depending on the situation, to get work over the line. 
to get them promoted be, be in a good place for going into the following season and then in, and in the summer it's a question of kind of strengthening the game really, really happy that they were the man who's in charge of all of that now yeah, yeah. well I was just no I mean I think again I, I kind of agree with that theoretically I'm not claiming to be an expert on the championship because I'm not although I saw Borough a few times uh, last season particularly towards the end and I just couldn't I mean everything was a slog I mean everything was a struggle even the games they won and you know won fairly well or slog and I've thought that about every game you possibly played that I've seen so far apart from Brighton you know I thought I thought that was the first time I felt they really look like they're in control they know exactly what they're doing but before then and you know I, I still wouldn't be surprised if it, if it, if it is like this that you know, pretty much week after week after week it's a struggle and I think people it's dirty isn't it it's, oh, it's, I mean it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's, just, I mean, it's incredibly competitive I thought Drayton were horrible on, on Saturday and I thought they were really dirty I thought they did loads of play out I'm looking at Chris I was looking at Chris Hutton thinking what the fuck Hmm. You know, um, but that's what you have to deal with, and you have to. You have well, to Kevin, Kevin Nolan. I mean, you know, Kevin Nolan. He was. He was. He knew exactly what he was doing. I mean, in terms of game management, in terms of all the tricks and Shearer, someone who knows absolutely all the tricks and knows how to win a football game. I mean, Newcastle haven't been cynical enough. They haven't had. Yeah. They haven't had dirtiness. They haven't had leaders. They haven't had nastiness. And you need. You need that. And I. I agree. I mean, you know, you look, you look at teams. I think Middlesbrough is a great example of a club you, you mentioned with regard Newcastle and Sunderland. Of, if you look at Middlesbrough when they got relegated, half empty ground, a manager no one liked, players no one wanted. I'm no Middlesbrough fan, but seeing, seeing what they've come back up with, a manager who is seemingly internationally respected, and a full stadium, which you can't always say about the Riverside, it just seems like a totally reinvigorated football club and area in terms of football. Yeah. So, yeah, I think. Um, Obviously, we're going to do a lot better than that, but it would be very mean to, to kind of to begrudge them that as well, wouldn't it? Yeah, well, and, and, but it's, you know, that's, that's a, I can't say it's a perfect example because it's been sort of horrific circumstances for Teesside, but that is, football does still have the power to act as a sort of beacon for a region, for an area, and that football, I mean, it became, you know, it was a source of huge pressure for the club to get promoted because of what was going on with the steelworks and so on and so forth and it, you know it, it will make a tangible difference uh, you would think having, having a Premier League club in Teesside and that, you know, that is a big pressure but and everybody in that stadium would have been connected to Steel in some way shape or form so but that's you know that's powerful and that is powerful and when things are going well with a football club it acts as a beacon for a, for a town or for a city or for a region and that's what you know that it, hopefully that's what's happening at Newcastle and if it does you know, at that point it becomes a pretty unstoppable force because you know we've you know we've seen Newcastle nearly there, and, and the city becomes transformed and the city it becomes electrified. Electrified. Brilliant. Is there anything we've not touched on, Lance? Anything no. on your notes? No, so I mean, fine. I got one final question for you, George. Is uh, a journalist does Newcastle being in the championship does that have any adverse effect on your? Um, I don't know. Weekly routine, or is there is there more pressure to cover Middlesbrough than there is Newcastle these days, or yes. how has it affected you? Um, well, so far it actually hasn't, but it will do. Yeah, I mean, I think I've covered four, five, 
Middlesbrough games last season, even though they were you know, pretty much near the top of the league. Newcastle is a different case because they, there was always interest in Newcastle. Most, mostly that's for bad reasons, I'm afraid, but that interest is still there. Benitez being there, of course, is a, it's a huge draw. And I think the fact that they're now open as a football club means I've done, as I said before, I've done a couple of interviews with players. I wasn't I physically wasn't allowed to do that by Newcastle over the past few years. So I've, I've done I've done two more interviews than I have done over the previous two seasons. So um, long term, it's the Premier League. So I'll tend to get sent wherever there's a Premier League game in the region, if not um, if not elsewhere. I mean, I don't think I'll be doing many three o'clock Saturday games. Unfortunately, it's going to be a bit of trouble. But you know, if it's one season and they stay near the top, then hopefully I can push to, to be there as often as possible. And I'll certainly be there. I'll certainly be there watching the days of my Very interesting. Great. Well, George, thanks for your time, Michael. The same. Thank you. Thank you very much. The headlines remind us daily: the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine. Stop noticing. But you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour 3-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com